Hi, I'm Erwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel. And we'll see you there. It was about a year and a half ago when the doctors finally told me I had to have a biopsy. I didn't know the biopsy would be one of the worst experiences in my life. I hope very soon a technology is created where they don't have to invade your body to find out there's something wrong with you. But wouldn't it be great if there was a way of doing a biopsy on the human soul? Like, you could know whether your heart was in the right kind of condition. And I started thinking about how we've actually created that technology without knowing it. It's called the internet. (laughs) You ever notice how the internet can be a really dark place to go? And how it brings out the worst in us. In fact, we're talking so much now as a culture about the problems with the internet and how mean people can be on the internet and how violent people can be on the internet and how aggressive they can be on the internet. And so we keep saying the internet's the problem. The internet is not guilty. The internet is neutral. The internet is simply the biopsy of the human soul. It's just giving us a context where what's inside of us is now pulled out of us and it goes public. And last week I I sent what I thought was one of the most innocuous tweets. Not innocuous, meaningful, but neutral. You know, one of those that no one could hate. I was wrong. I was amazed how I I was just sitting having coffee one morning. And and some of you know I'm an immigrant from El Salvador. And and I think all of us are touched by the the crisis and the issues at the border. And wherever we are politically or however we understand immigration and all that sort of thing, I think all of us have a a sense of of sympathy for the human dilemma. So I I just, I had an overwhelming moment. I, I found myself holding back tears and feeling awkward in this restaurant or this coffee shop and And so I just sent out a tweet saying, holding back tears. And just took a moment and described how those kids, they don't understand political situations. They don't understand national borders and boundaries. They just understand fear and compassion. And wow, did I find some hate. And I'm not really bothered by that hate in the broad spectrum of things. What I'm actually concerned about is where we're going as a culture. See, because what what really is making me a little bit nervous, a little cautious, is that things that once, at one time we thought were were just aberrations have become the norm. And we just just seem to be pulling each other further and further and further down. And what I want to talk to you about in these moments is about reclaiming our humanity. Because somewhere along the way, there has to be someone who says, you know, I'm not going to let you pull me down. I'm going to work at pulling everyone up. And, and, and then I, I kept being pressed against by these words of Jesus that I'm going to be really upfront with you. They're, they're actually really disturbing to me. 
I know some people say, well, I don't know, I have, I have problems with some of Jesus' teachings. You know, really, almost no one I know can identify any of Jesus' teachings they have a problem with. You know, the reality is that maybe the struggle is who Jesus claimed to be, not what he asked us to be. Because when he, he claims to be God, I can understand that's a problem. See, I think it's reasonable for you to go, I'm not sure about Jesus, because he claimed to be God. So you should be a little bit suspicious. And by the way, anyone else claimed to be God, you should be really, really suspicious. <laughs> and, and so I think it's fair to say you, you, you need to look at this carefully. You need to evaluate Jesus' claims and, and, and decide for yourself, is he who he says he is? Because if he's not, we shouldn't even consider his teachings as a value. Because anyone who claims to be God and is not God does not have something to teach us. But if he is God, then his teachings will press against us and will even disturb us because they will, they will always bring light on us when we're living beneath our intention, we're living beneath our humanity. And so these words of Jesus, these are the ones that, that disturbed me so much when I first fell upon them, when I first were, encountered these teachings from Jesus. They didn't really resonate with me. I, I mean, they resonated with me in terms of what a beautiful ideal. Not, okay, I can do this. See, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, hmm, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want to make sure we understand the context of Jesus' words, because these are the kinds of words that can get lost in poetry. These are the kind of words that are so elegant and so poetic and so beautiful that we might never apply them to our lives because we all know they're unreasonable. Because have you ever listened to the words of Jesus and thought to yourself, that's so beautiful. It doesn't work, but it's so beautiful. There's no way I could ever live that out. And so we, we try to put it into a different context. Well, Jesus doesn't understand the real world. Because after all, even if he was in the real world 2,000 years ago, that was a different world. If he lived in this world, he'd have to change it. He'd have to go, you know, I've been rethinking this. And really what I, what I tried to, try to provoke you to step into is more than really is reasonable. So I want you to understand the context in which Jesus said these words 
Because you see, sometimes we think that, that the scriptures are written by free people and then they have the audacity to talk about slavery. See, the scriptures are actually written by slaves who had the audacity to talk about freedom. See, we, we, we forget sometimes that when Jesus was born, the, the, the Hebrews or captives to the Romans, the nation of Israel had been conquered and they were not free. So Jesus was writing in a time where he had never known political freedom in his life. It's hard for us to imagine this, but the Israelites were essentially the slaves of the Romans. They did not have their own choice. They did not have their own nation. They did not have their own power. They did not have their own authority. They had to live under the rule of a nation they despised. Ruled by an emperor who said he was God and they needed to worship him. Everything the Israelites despised was wrapped up in the Roman Empire. Jesus, and we don't usually use this language about Jesus, he was born into slavery. And he spoke in a world where they were the oppressed, the objects of injustice. So don't think for a moment that what Jesus is saying to us doesn't have any context or relevance for today. And, and, and then he, he uses a phrase over and over again, you've heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. So what he's actually dealing with are common understandings in the culture. You know, the, the things you say behind closed doors. The things that you might tweet under anonymous the things that you, you say because you're behind the far firewall of the internet and so no one can get to you, so suddenly you become bold in what you say, bold in what you do. But if you were having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone, you would, you would act very differently. See, when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, this was the internet conversation. This was the conversation behind the conversations. They knew how to be polite, but this is what was really inside of them. You've heard what it was said was the biopsy of the soul. And what you're all saying is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What you're all saying is that there's only one way to get ahead in this world. It's the same way the world has gotten ahead. See, what Jesus actually, what you've done is you bought into this lie. That you can only fight darkness with darkness, evil with evil, hatred with hatred, violence with violence. Jesus said you, you've actually bought into what you stand against. You've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What you've heard, what you are saying behind closed doors is revenge is acceptable when you're facing violence. We gotta be like them if we're gonna beat them. And isn't that what's happening in our culture? Instead of elevating, we just keep degrading. Instead of choosing another way, a higher way, we just all keep getting dragged into the gutter. But Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And then Jesus begins to give them a path to reclaiming their humanity. And I want us to take this path together. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I don't know about you, but... I'm already in trouble. I'm already listening to this going, really? See, I'm not really built like that. 
I'm not even built like letting you actually get to the right cheek. See, if you got to one cheek, I feel like I failed. Because when I was younger, I spent a lot of time learning how to be a boxer. And I learned how to be a boxer for a very specific reason. So I could duck and weave. So that when you tried to hit me, you would hit air and find yourself very, very quickly discovering a new reality. See, I was never the guy who thought, oh, I'm going to turn the other cheek. You're not even going to get to the first cheek. And Jesus says, if, you, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn it on the other cheek. I'm going, no. I love that. I love that about you, Jesus. So that's why I'm willing to, to follow you, Jesus. I'm just not willing to step into this because I'm in the real world. There are people trying to hurt me. Or, or people who just don't understand the boundaries. See, Jesus is not saying here that you should choose to be a victim. And what he's not saying here is that you should ever be the willing object of abuse. But what he is saying is that you need to discover the strength of forgiveness. So he was actually saying is, look, the moment someone hits you, the moment someone offends you, the moment someone hurts you, the moment someone turns against you, your natural reaction is going to be retaliation. And want, I want to teach you a higher way. And so he says, when someone slaps you on the cheek, give them, turn the other cheek. What he's actually telling us is you don't want to become like them. Because the moment you become like them, they've won. There's a lot of ways of getting slapped in the face, isn't there? There are a lot of ways. And I think most of the time, it's not physical. I mean, how many times have you been betrayed? How many times have you been hurt? How many times have you been let down? How many times has someone broken their promises and their word to you? How many times does someone tell you they love, they'd love you forever and forever came to a quick end? How many times did you think it would never happen with them and it happened with them? See, whenever you, you fight bitterness, whenever you find yourself all of a sudden carrying an offense, you've been slapped in the cheek. And now you have to decide what you're going to do with it. And, and one of the most difficult things in the world is when, when someone slaps you and you were unaware it was coming. Like, what do I do now? Do I, do I let them get away with it? Do I let them think they have that much power over me? And the first thing we try to do is we try to retaliate. See, on a, on a macro level, I see our culture degrading with accusations and demonizing each other and diminishing each other. And, and, and it just... It just just saddens me. But on a micro level, I, I hear this language all the time. That person really offended me. And I, I, that person really hurt me. Almost every single day, I find someone's been offended. <laughs> you guys are some of the most fragile people I've ever known. <laughs> you, I don't know if you know that life is bumper cars. People are going to bang into you. I mean, I just, I, 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 I get emails. I was really offended by what you said. You're not alone. Why do you think you should email me? <laughs> well, you know, I was really hurt by what you said. I had people upset because I mentioned the Midwest. Because, you know, I was really hurt because I'm, I'm, I'm in Missouri. <laughs> if this hurts you, you're too fragile. And the reason we become so fragile... It's because we don't know the power of forgiveness. 
Forgiveness doesn't make you weaker. Forgiveness makes you stronger. Forgiveness is a strength. I mean, I, I was in college and I, I was new to faith and I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus and I was just reading the Bible and I'm stumbling on these kinds of teaching if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And, and I had a roommate and he was a freshman and I was a senior and that was already misery for me. And we played soccer together and, and I tried so hard because I was so new and I wanted to be like Jesus. But it didn't help. He, he, he was just so messed up. He was just stoned all the time. I mean, his, his cabinet looked like a pharmaceutical store. And, and because he was always stoned, he was stealing my money. He was stealing my food. And, and, and I kept trying to turn the other cheek. And I turned the other cheek. And I turned the other cheek. But I only have four cheeks. And he slapped them all. And uh, I don't know why this sent me over the edge. It wasn't the money, it wasn't the food, it wasn't the stuff, it wasn't the clothes. One day I noticed he stole my girlfriend's photograph. Who does that? And I just happened to see it under his stuff as I looked at his stuff to look for my stuff. When I saw her photograph, I just, I just became so angry, that's it. I just lost my mind. And some of my friends who had been followers of Jesus longer, they, they, they saw me. And they knew I had been consumed with rage. And I just said, have you seen this guy? I was, I was looking for him. And I was not going to express unconditional love and acceptance. <laughs> I, I, he had crossed the line. And, and I waited and waited and waited. And people came and they tried to pray for me. It just irritated me. So religious. I, and one guy, he's like, grab my hands. He said, Irwin, we're going to pray. I said, you know, right now, I'm going to lay you out if you don't walk out of this room. He's like, amen. And just laughed. And, and finally, that guy came back to the room, and he saw me. He went into the bathroom. And I was just so angry. I walked into that bathroom, and he was in, on the commode. And, and I just kicked open the door. I'm just sitting there. I said, in the room now. He goes, can I finish? I said, yeah. So I went back to the room. I came in. I, I, I just knew what I was going to do. Because you have to. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, right? Because Jesus doesn't understand real life. And, and, and when they said to me, you know, Erwin, that's not what Jesus wants you to do. I said, I know, but he forgives, right? And uh, I remember he walked in that room. And I, I thought I was just going to beat him senseless. And I sat down, and he sat down. I could feel the veins popping out of my head. And I looked at him, and he did not believe in God, and he did not believe in Jesus, and I tried so hard. But we were past that. And I just looked at him, and I said, I know you don't believe in God, and I know you don't believe in Jesus, but I want you to know Jesus just saved you. (laughs) he's not inside of you but he's inside of me and he won't let me do what I would have done see one of the frustrating things about Jesus is that he calls you to a path you cannot walk without him and then he he calls you down a path you can't walk away from if you're going to keep walking with him 
someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You need to know the strength of forgiveness if you're going to reclaim your humanity. Instead of being offended by everyone, why don't you start forgiving everyone? Instead of always getting hurt by what everyone else did, why don't you just elevate and show them what you do? And then Jesus goes on and says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the one that's a problem here. But this is not any easier than the last thing. So if someone wants to sue you, so they're out to harm you. When someone sues you, they're trying to take what is yours. See, I, I've been in the business world. I've watched millions of dollars disappear. I've been in the middle of, of conflicts with lawyers going, what do I do? And then to hear Jesus speak into the depth of my soul. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. I'm going, that's not how it works in the real world, Jesus. It's easy for you to say you didn't have anything and you had everything. But he's, what he's telling us is he's, he doesn't want us to, to be so weak and, and unwise that people are taking advantage of us. But he wants us to understand is the wealth of generosity. You see, those young Hebrew boys, those men, those Israelites who were the sons of David who killed Goliath, they would have Roman soldiers walk up to them indiscriminately while they were with their friends and family and girlfriends, and, and they would just come up and slap a Hebrew in the face to try to incite them to violence, use their power to overpower. And they knew if that Hebrew responded and that Hebrew knew it, if I respond to that act of aggression, it will justify their violence. I, I know it's hard to imagine a world in which those who are entrusted with justice are the instruments of injustice, but I want you to go there with me. I know it's hard to imagine a context where power is given to people because they're one nation or one color or one ethnicity, and they oppress and dehumanize another people just because they were born to a different blood, a different race, a different color. But I want you to imagine that world with me because if you ever step into that world, you might need these teachings from Jesus. See, he says, not only do you need the strength of forgiveness, but you need the wealth of generosity because what would happen is these Romans would come and they would see these, these Israelites together and just to try to incite them to violence, he would say, my horse is cold. Or Hebrew, I need your shirt. I like that shirt. See, because the Romans saw not only everything the Hebrews owned as theirs, they saw the Hebrews as theirs. It wasn't just what the Hebrews owned that were their possessions. The Hebrews were their possessions. Can you imagine maybe having your best shirt on because you're trying to have a conversation with a fine young lady, and then this Roman soldier comes and says, give me that shirt. And, and every time, every button you take off would just feel more dehumanizing and more demeaning. And, and you want to defend yourself. Oh, let me tell you, that world doesn't work for me. Because I, I know what I'd be thinking. Yeah, you're all that on that horse with 10 soldiers behind you. You're all that with that sword and that spear in your hand. 
But man, just, just five minutes down an alley, just you and me, and we'll see who the real man is. Let's just, let's just, just, just have a moment where you and me can figure out who we really are. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what you do. See, don't do that. That's not what Jesus would do. Jesus said, you know, when they want to take your shirt and you feel powerless, I want you to give them your coat. See, it goes against everything inside of me. You can't have my shirt. You're not even top chef. You, you, can't, you can't have my shirt. You can't even pull this off. You don't have enough swagger to carry this shirt. Jesus, no, you take off that shirt. You go, oh, here you go. You know, I, I was hoping someone needed my shirt today. Wait a minute, wait a minute, before you go, I got a coat. I got a coat right here. Gucci, it's right here, bro. You can have my coat. Because clearly you need my coat more than I do. But that's okay because God has made me a man and I can handle the elements. See? You know what's crazy? I was talking about giving up your coat and your shirt. And this morning, after one of the gatherings, this couple came up to me. And they said their family's not coming to Mosaic. He goes, I don't know if you remember meeting me a year ago. I think it was in Arizona. I was walking down a hallway on my way to speak at an event. And I saw this guy. And he had a, a Fear of God shirt on. And, and so I, 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 I saw him. And I went back and said, oh, is that shirt Fear of God? And his wife started laughing. Going, yeah, he wishes. He goes, no, it's, it's a fear of God knockoff. I said, it is. And he goes, yeah, we can't afford fear of God. I said, you know, I have the exact same shirt. Give me your address. I'm going to mail it to you. And I went home to L.A., and I took my shirt, and I put it in the box, and I sent it to him. And on the very day I'm talking about giving up your coat and your shirt, they come to Mosaic for the very first time. He goes, I'm the guy you gave your shirt to. <laughs> Why people steal? See, you steal because you do not know you can create. And so if you need to take what's mine, if you need to steal from someone else, it's because you've diminished your own soul. And I don't have to worry about that. You see, no one can steal anything from me that I do not have the capacity to recreate. So you don't have to worry about the thieves. They're just trying to survive. You're creating a future. So if anyone wants to take your shirt, give them your coat as well. And this can apply so many places, the power of generosity. Anybody have a boss that's just unreasonable? (laughs) And, And would he also be your dad? Because it'd be a terrible thing to have a broken relationship with both of them at the same time. <laughs> but because I'll never stop being your dad, but I could stop being your boss. <laughs> I'm ready for the Apollo. You don't have to. <laughs> You know, when, when someone expects too much from you, too much of you, 
What can happen so oftentimes, see, when, is when you should forgive, you actually become bitterness, and when you should give, you actually become greedy. And Jesus is actually telling us, look, the power over greed is generosity. And so if you have a boss that demands too much, give more than he demands. Show up early, stay late. Man, you, you take shorter breaks. When he says, when he gives you an assignment that is not your job, you take that assignment as a badge of honor. Thank you for trusting me with this. I'm going to do a great job. You move faster than they thought you could move. See, I think a lot of us, we rebel against the status quo by diminishing and lowering the standards. So you're rebelling by showing up late. You, you, you know, I'm free. I don't have to show up on time. I can be late. That's my way of being free. I know the break's 30 minutes. I'm taking 32. That's my freedom. See, and if you always see yourself as being forced to bring your best, you will never bring your best. So you need to know the wealth of generosity. It drives me crazy when I see Christians in restaurants treating waiters and waitresses as if they're, they're slaves. You should be giving more than you take. Always, always, always treating others with respect. So I want to remember to always give my coat when they're demanding my shirt. You cannot force me to be more generous than I already want to be. Kim was in, uh, Kim's in Malawi right now and uh, with the team of 34 other people, and they're doing such great work, and she's been sending us these small reports. We can applaud that. And, and and she sent me the small text that said, we, we've helped 13 people get out of prison. And I said, how did you do that? He goes, well, most of them owed about $10 of debt. And were being held in prison indefinitely because they couldn't pay their debt. And it just broke me. And I just like, look, I will personally give $1,000 if you'll go back and set as many people free as you can. Because that's what we're called to be. The people who give our coats, not just our shirts. We're supposed to be the movement of generosity that destroys the power of greed in the world. And then Jesus says in verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What's he talking about? See, again, those Roman soldiers, they'd ride up on their horses or be carrying their packs. And they had the power and the authority to call out a Hebrew and say, you, Hebrew dog, you don't have anything meaningful to do with your life. My horse needs a rest. I'm taking the pack off my horse, and I need you to carry it. They were authorized to, let that, to, make, to force that Hebrew to carry that pack for a mile. It's so odd that we can legitimize abuse and call it policy. And that Hebrew has to pick up that pack and carry that for a mile while the Romans ride on their horses, mocking them and diminishing their value. Can you imagine how much hatred would begin to stir in your heart every step of the way? How much disdain all the vitriol that would just stew inside of you. 
And Jesus says, I have a strategy for that. Because you see, right now you feel powerless, but I want you to know there's a strategy where no one can ever steal your power. When you come to the end of that mile, and that Roman thinks he has abused it and made you powerless. When he says, all right, you can draw the path now. Now, put it on my horse. You can go back now, you Hebrew dog. After you get to the, that last step of that mile, that's when you show them you were never their slave. You have always been free. See, in that last step of that last mile, you can look at them and say, I got this. I got, I got, I have another mile in me. I'm going to carry, your, your, your horse looks so tired. I just couldn't even imagine stopping now. Oh, I understand why you would think I need to stop, but I'm not a Roman. I don't live a life of obligation. I live a life of intention. I'm not doing this because you have power over me. I'm doing this because you are powerless over me. And Jesus says, look, you're going to have to trust me. The only way you're going to reclaim your humanity is if you discover the strength of forgiveness and the wealth of generosity. Oh, you need to understand the freedom of servanthood. Because the moment you choose the path of humility, you will never lose your humanity. The moment you choose the path of humility and servanthood, no one will ever have the power to diminish you again. Someone, someone says, what's wrong with you? You should work harder. You know, I, I will. I got this. Hey, you know how many times in my life I felt so demeaned and diminished? And it would have been so easy to just accept that as my identity. But instead, I just used it as fuel to say, there's only two options here. They're wrong, and I'm going to prove that they're wrong. Or they're right, and I'm going to prove it doesn't matter. Because if I'm not smart enough, and that's what they think, then I'm either going to prove I'm smarter than they thought, or I'm going to prove God doesn't need me to be that smart. But nothing's going to stop me from living the life God created me to live. <laughs> so if anyone forces you to go a mile, then go two miles. Go in early. Stay late. Work harder. Work smarter. Work faster. Do more. Kim and I have been married 35 years now. It's amazing. And there have been moments where... Um, I have felt that I have been on the, um, on the wrong side of, of surrendering my desire, my wish, my will. Uh, yeah, you ever felt like, I'm doing more for this relationship than the other person? No? Yeah? I've had times where I thought to myself, I'm done. I'm done being patient. I'm done accommodating I'm done asking for forgiveness. It's her turn. And, and I'm sure Kim has felt the same way. Like, I'm done. I'm sure she's felt like, I'm just done. I'm done doing everything you want. 
I'm done doing it your way. I'm pretty sure she's felt the same way. And see what Jesus is saying is, when did you think you could be done? See, this is not a give and take relationship. This is just a give and give relationship. See, the only marriages that actually work is when you stop measuring how much you do and how much your partner does. And actually start going, hey, it doesn't matter how much they do. I'm just going to do more and more and more because I'm called to walk the second mile. And, And let me tell you, there's something extraordinary about a life of people all walking the second mile together. You're no longer walking together out of obligation, but intention, serving each other in love. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then then go two miles. RT didn't have to go to Malawi. No one obligated them to do that. No one was expecting that of them. But they gave up their time and their money. They sacrificed to go. And they're in a country that they would never have to visit, meeting people they would never have to know and setting people free and giving them a future. They would never have one without their sacrifice. See, they're walking the second mile. And some of you are envying second mile lives while you're still fighting the first mile. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, there it is again, this is what you're talking about. This is, what, this is what's being said on the street. This is how you're living it out on the internet. You've heard that it was said, love your enemy, I mean, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, there's a clear line. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So in other words, if you don't take this on, you're not going to look anything like God. And then he says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Don't you hate that? Don't you just hate that God's good to bad people? Except that may be the only reason he's good to you. See, I always think it's funny when we read this. What? The sun rises on the evil and the good, and God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's not fair. Whatever made you think that you were the righteous example of this story? I'm like, I'm so glad God decides to give me sunny days and rain, even though I don't deserve it at all. If it's not you, it's me. I'm the other side of the story. I'm the person who did not deserve God's goodness. I'm the person who did not deserve him to bring sun and rain and make me well. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, if you embrace only your own people, if you receive only your own people, if you care only about your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your father is perfect. He says, you know, you need to understand that to reclaim your humanity, you need to step into the strength of forgiveness and the wealth of generosity. You need to understand the freedom of servanthood. But ultimately, what you need to step into is the power of love. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
This is what you think God wants? You see, we're not supposed to be the people drawing the lines between people. We're supposed to be the ones erasing the lines between people. He said, you've heard it said. This is, this is, this is what's going down. This is the wisdom of the street. Love your neighbors and hate your enemy. So you need to know who your neighbor is so you know who to hate. But what about if your neighbor is your enemy? Or your enemy is your neighbor? What do you do then? No, what you need to understand is I'm giving you a new way. I tell you, love your enemies. So whoever your enemies are, I, I, I just cannot understand the level of hatred that there is in our culture just because people don't agree with each other. It's not enough that we, we have to just state our positions with intelligence, with passion. We have to demean and destroy other people who don't agree with us. And what Jesus is saying, you got to stop this. If they're your enemy, you need to love them. And you need to pray for those who persecute you. You ever notice that most of us, our strategy of bitterness, our strategy of hurt is slander and gossip? When we've been hurt by someone, our usually, our number one strategy is, I'm gonna talk about that person. I'm gonna tell everyone everything I hate about that person. Now, why is it that when you have an enemy, you decide to talk about them rather than pray for them? See, well, see Jesus seems to know us so well. I'm gonna tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So the moment you wanna talk about someone, you know what they did? You know, the moment you want to talk about something, do you know this? Man, we have an entire economy called paparazzi. Their entire fortune is built on finding us in our worst moments. We just love to bring people down, show that they're broken and imperfect like the rest of us. So the next time you want to persecute someone or you want to turn against someone, before you say anything to anyone else, I want to challenge you to begin talking to the God about them. All right, so before you ever let gossip or slander slip out of your mouth, I want you to begin to pray to God for them. It will change what you say to other people if you actually begin with a conversation with God. Because the moment you start talking to God about someone, he changes the way you talk about that person to others. You need to understand that Jesus, he didn't just die on the cross so that we would not have to fear death. He came to reclaim our humanity. See, he did not need an instrument that would do a biopsy on our soul. He already knew the condition of our hearts. He already knew we were a mess. Long before the internet began to expose the darkest part of our souls, long before Twitter and Instagram and social media and Facebook began to reveal what's inside of us, long before the dark web ever came into existence, there was the dark humanity. And Jesus already knew. And so he called us to a life. And here's the frustrating part. Everything we just read, everything we just heard Jesus say, it's impossible to live out without him. 
Why would you do this? To call me to a level of humanity I am incapable of living out. It's almost like the answer comes so clearly because you were never supposed to live it out without me. See, that's why Jesus came. He came to restore your humanity. And a part of the beautiful thing in all of this is that when he restores your humanity, he begins to free you from fear. He begins to free you from shame. He begins to free you from guilt. He frees you from anxiety. He frees you from all those things that are paralyzing you. And then he gives you the freedom to step into a new humanity. I am so embarrassed, I gotta just tell you. As a pastor, as a person who's a follower of Jesus, as a person who's inescapably identified with Christianity, I am so embarrassed about the way Christianity has acted in our culture. And people have identified themselves with Jesus. And I'm so convinced we're, we're watching the crumbling of what has been known as Christianity and the emergence of a new movement of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to be a part of the revolution Jesus started 2,000 years ago because he came to reclaim our humanity, to make us human again. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.